And that, my friends, is Winona, as in Winona Judd, and The Big Noise. And that is their song, Things I Lean On. And that is a perfect segue into the discussion for today in this episode of Carla Talks. Today we are going to be talking with Aaron Pash, who is the owner and operator of Ellie Family Services. And you will hear how I met her, and uh, she's just a tremendous person and really appreciate her time today. There's just a lot of heavy things going on. You have parents that are trying to do distance learning with students who in themselves are trying to adjust. You have couples that are trying to balance out working from home and other family responsibilities, trying to bring any sort of normalcy that they can to their family. And if there is job loss or loss of life in that tragedy that that brings to a family, I can't even imagine. And so today we are going to talk a little bit about some things that you can do to help with coping and maybe some tools that you can use to kind of help you and your family. And I I just remember my husband and I, I call him Boo, but his name is John. But Boo and I were sitting at the kitchen table when I actually got notified that we were going into a shutdown and that the governor was going to issue a stay-at-home order. And, you know, when I told him, I was like man, we're going to be, we're going to be stuck in this house together for God knows how long. And for those that know me know that I don't sit still well and, and I'm always doing something and, you know, I'm not home all that much. I mean, I'm home more than people think I'm home, but still I'm gone a lot and I'm, I'm an extrovert and my husband is an introvert. And so we balance each other out well, but I mean, all I could do and all he could do is look at each other and we laughed and my laughter turned quickly into tears. And those tears were because of the loss of life that was what had happened, but was going to continue to happen. And the tragedy that that in and itself brings but understanding that the economy and the businesses that would close, the, the loss of jobs, it's just unconscionable. And, and just feeling helpless, that's, you know, that's how quickly emotions, in, at least in my own experience, changed from, oh my God, how are we going to get through this, to complete sadness, to all right, we're going to get through this together. We're going to stick together. We're going to help each other out. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be kind and compassionate and I hope people are, we're going to check in on people. We're going to do from my, from my day job, we're going to do what we can to, to help the economy, to, to make sure that our first responders are prepared and that our communities are prepared for when we hopefully become post-COVID so that, you know, we have an economy that works for all. And so 
those are the types of things that were just going through my mind. And, you know, then calling through people, my friends, my family, my colleagues, my community leaders, nonprofit leaders, business leaders, long-term care facility directors, just checking in and, and hearing and listening from them and how we can get through this together. And so my friend, Aaron Pash, uh, was very generous with her time and sat down and talked to us a little bit about how we can help our mental health during this unprecedented time. So I hope you enjoy hearing from Aaron. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at Carla at CarlaTalks.com. So today my guest on Carla Talks is somebody that I've met uh, through um, the community who is just a, a champion for mental health. And uh, I'm just blessed that our paths have crossed because uh, she is such a go-getter and just a tremendous advocate for mental health. The owner and operator of Ellie Family Services, Erin Pash, thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Carla. So let's talk a little bit about your practice and the services that you and your wonderful team, who one of them is a neighbor of mine, Natalie. That's awesome. And yep. just just uh, t- talk to me and talk to the viewers about, uh, the listeners, about Ellie Family Services. Yeah, so Ellie Family Services, I actually have a, co-part- uh, a partner, a co-owner, Kyle Keller. We started about five years ago now with this idea that we need to do better and fill gaps in mental health. We were county social workers over in Dakota County and uh, really loved the work that we did and knew that we were young and ambitious and frustrated and motivated and really felt like we could maybe, or at least pretend for a little while, to to go out there in the community and try and do our own thing with the idea that we want to fill gaps in mental health. And when we say fill gaps, it's not just filling gaps in services, it's filling gaps in how mental health is run from an organizational standpoint, how staff are treated and compensated and um, have work-life balance, um, how we navigate customer service issues related to clients and just helping people get access. So over the last five years, we've grown to have, uh, I think it's seven locations now that are uh, Brainerd, Minnesota, Baxter, Brainerd, Lakes area, Minnesota location opened yesterday. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout the, throughout mostly in the twin cities, that's our first outstate Minnesota location. Um, and we just really like to, to shake it up and do things differently. Um, you know, I always kind of coin like, Oh, we're millennials doing our, our millennial thing. Um, and so that's <laughs> kind of how people have come to know us. Good, good. But, and, yeah. and, and you also have, um, you know, you focus on family therapy and individual therapy, but, um, also like co-parenting and mitigating through trauma and divorce and grief. Um, what other, I mean, uh, all of that, Yep. all of that, absolutely all of that right now, obviously with the pandemic, we've sure. shifted everything to telehealth. Yes. So all of our services are available via, you know, kind of video chat. We are actually, um, we've created our own platform that will be ready to use in the next couple of weeks called sky sessions. Nice. And, 
and the idea behind it is that it's just a little bit less clunky for clients. They can just click on a link and it shows up right there and it's all internal at, at Ellie so they don't have to be signing up for, you know, Zoom or any other um any other devices and we can make sure it's HIPAA compliant, which some of these platforms that are being used right now aren't. Um, but yeah, we offer kind of the full range of everything from, um, you know, we do psychological evaluations for kiddos. We've got um, a couple of nurse practitioners and a psychiatrist who do medication management for people. Sure. We do tons and tons of therapy. And we also are a little bit unique in that we offer community-based programs for um, people who are on state-based health insurance. Sure. So so when we're not in a pandemic, we're actually going into people's homes um, all the time and making sure we're helping, you know, some of our most at risk or sometimes our most vulnerable folks getting the care that they need inside their homes where they might not be able to access a clinic. Well, I think one of the largest discussions and just the biggest shock to the to what the pandemic and COVID-19 has caused is to mental health. And, Absolutely. you know, we have people that are have mental illness but then you have the the trauma of the sudden isolation the sudden separation from um family from work from your everyday schedule and what you like to do and then on top of it you have to now navigate a new way of providing a service of telemedicine because of the, of the pandemic and not being, you know, the social distancing and trying to find a new safe way of providing services. I want to talk a little bit about what you are doing or what you would suggest listeners do for their mental health, for their family's mental health and their children's mental health. I mean, I can't, I do not have children. I'm not going to have children. I can't imagine working full-time Aaron uh, and then having to distance learn with one kid, two kid, three kids, uh, add a add a spouse and a couple dogs into the, into the mix, and I, I just I'd be calling you every day, buddy. I don't um, I don't know well, how people are doing it. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. But I I think that um, it is a serious issue for people. I'm hearing about it, so. If you wouldn't mind, and I know you've been on local news stations and local radio stations talking about this and talking about Ellie Family Services. And by the way, you can check out elliefamilyservices.com to learn more about uh, the practice and Erin and her team. But can you talk a little bit, Erin, about what uh, some helpful tips, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, I agree, right? I, we're doing it. Me and my husband are both full time um, at our jobs and we are home with three kids and it is, and a couple of dogs and cats in that mix. And it's, it's a lot. I, I will tell you that there are times where life feels a little bit more peaceful because there's less hustle and bustle. Right. And so one of the things I tell people is lean into those moments. Right. And when I say lean in, I mean, try and find ways to separate out. This is good. This is okay. I enjoy this. And it's different versus, you know, just clumping it all in with this sucks. Everything's closed. Everything's crazy. We have no money, everything, you know, all of this stuff together. So that's one thing that can be really important is to just be. So focus on the positive. Focus on the positives when you can. Right. Even if they're, even if they're just 
a little. Like normally maybe you'd have to get up for work at seven and you get to sleep until eight. I'm not, yeah. I, I, I don't believe in like this concept of toxic positivity, sure. which is this idea that we're so positive and forced to be positive that we don't actually honor the struggle that we're going through. Sure. Um, because this sucks and it sucks for everyone. I mean, I read an article of 99% of people on the planet, right? Like not America, not Minnesota, not Washington County on the planet are impacted by this pandemic. And, and I think that's really, really powerful. And I think people making room in their, in their life to talk about how big of a deal it is, is okay. And it's okay to talk about that. They're struggling. Yes. Um, some of the tips that we've put out there for people, and I've got some for just in general and for parents, are one of the biggest things people can do for self-care is limit your social media and news time when it comes to the pandemic, right? We know it's happening. We know it's scary. We know a lot of people are really, really sick and even dying, um, and a lot of people are struggling. But if you just expose yourself or have CNN running in the background all day long, right. you're going to make yourself crazy. Right. So, so put your phone down. Find one news source that you can set notifications to that could maybe tell you or have one app on your phone that you check, but try not to be immersed in it all the time, 24 seven, because it's, it's too overwhelming. Sure. Um, The other thing is to take space just because you're at home with your family or um, with other people feel like you can still have your own time. And I don't care if you have to negotiate with your partner or with your children or find something that you can figure out. Or even if you've got young kids or you're a single mom and you've got a neighbor who can just watch them from the yard, right? Yeah. Um, For you to just do a quick lap around the block, find time to take some space for yourself. And I think Um, that, I think that that's an important lesson to, to, discuss and just kind of peel back there because so my husband and I, uh, his name's John, but I call him boo. Um, so boo and I, in the beginning, <laughs> boo and I, in the beginning, um, we just, it was this funny moment cause we both looked at each other and laughed and it was like almost a cry laugh. Like, Oh my gosh, we're going to be stuck in here together. Um, yeah. for a very, very long unknown time. And we, we actually sat down face to face with coffee and talked about, look for our relationship, for our own individual health. We each need to take some time a day and just be by ourselves. So he goes and takes a drive and, and, you know, just listens to music and just gets out with the windows down and all of that. I walk my dogs, you know, they're getting so many walks. But I think it's important from a relationship and from a, ham- a family's perspective to have that that individual time. But also, uh, and I'm not a psychologist, counselor, social worker. Um, I work with them. But uh, I would say that um, I think that that has been a, a very much a positive benefit during this time. And I think that also allowing that time to talk and knowing that you can't just walk away right now, you can't just pick up and go to talk through any decisions you have to make and concerns because everybody has them. I, I'd like yeah. to know what that one percent is that you were talking about that isn't impacted because, I mean, I even think it's, honestly, I think it's just remote villages and people who you know, like there's a couple of different island yeah. island tribes. I mean, I have no idea. I'm yeah. speculating. I mean, but- I. I just think that that's an important factor because you you have to sit here and take a look at and and have those conversations and so to be able to give yourself that space I think is a a true thing that will really help. Oh, it's huge. And you you make a really good point. 
prevention is a lot better than intervention, right? We've mm-hmm. learned that with their studies and everything. And you and your husband sat down went before you were mad at each other, before right. you were annoyed. So if you can prevent it by sitting down and having an intentional conversation about how you're going to effectively take space and manage your own self-care before you're just raging mad or angry or frustrated, it's going to go a lot better than if you try and do it in the moment. Well, and I think the the other issue too is um, there's a lot of couples that one's an introvert, one's an extrovert, and you balance each other out. And that is so much the case of my marriage. And I'll let you guys decide who's the introvert and who's the extrovert. <laughs> but <laughs> one of the, one of the struggles um, is, is that right? Like, you know, they, they introverts kind of recharge by, um, taking that time to themselves where extroverts recharge by being with people. And so, um, you know, it is a fact of checking in with friends, with family, um, and, and reconnecting, I think has been also, uh, and, you know, an opportunity to, to kind of help with, the stress of the stay at home order and the quarantine. I think that's also a a thing that has been, has been helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you talk about extroverts, introverts, some people talk about type A, type B, right? One of the other Mm -hmm. skills that we've been telling people, and I'm going to, I'm going to say it because I wrote it on this little infographic we gave out a few weeks ago. It's kind of on this idea of like be productive or not. Right. And I wrote on here, if you're a doer, do. If not, don't. If you're a doer who doesn't want to do, don't. And if you're a donter and want to do, do it. Yeah. Right. Like it's this idea of, you know, a lot of people have these expectations that are saying, you know, I learned how to do this. I learned how to do that. And learning a new skill is great if you've got the time for it. You know, I kind of went into this hoping I'd have more time to do stuff and I'm spent. <laughs> right. And I'm not, I'm not extrovert type A person yeah. and I am spent. Yeah. I was invited to a social distance happy hour last <laughs> night and I was all excited and I had my mask and I had all of that. And I texted my friend at like midnight. I passed out on the couch at like eight thirty, <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. And then I, of course, you know, the pre-bedtime nap, I woke up at 10 30 and couldn't fall back asleep. Yeah. Uh, which is, to, you know, another piece in all this, our schedules are totally not right. Right. Um, so you just, you kind of have to go with the flow a little and to, to, you know, people who might be listening who are parents, that's another big thing. Yes. Like trying to let yourself not care. My kids got some cute little May Day baskets yesterday from their old childcare provider and it's filled with a bunch of candy and all this stuff. And normally I try and limit how much sugar my kids have, especially sure. around the bedtime hour. And clearly I was tired. I passed out on the couch at 830. Um, and he kept asking for Mambas or something. I'm like, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm pick your battles, pick your battles. Yeah. Pick your battles. I do not care. I am being a yes parent right now because I'm not going to fight you. And it doesn't, the stress of trying to tell you no is just not, it's not worth it for our family. You know, Mm. kids are experiencing this stress in really weird ways. Yes. We we haven't even begun to understand how our kids are going to process through this. Right. They just, they just know it's weird and they're mostly resilient. So they're doing the best they can. And that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is, is let's talk a little bit about, you know, the class of 2020. And if you have any thoughts or suggestions, you know, that they don't get to see that rite of passage as, as we know it. I mean, I'm, I'm confident Aaron, that the communities will come together and honor 
those graduates at some point. I, I just, I know that that will happen. It just won't look like you and I, uh, you know, back in the nineties, uh, when, or maybe you're 2000, I don't know, but, um, it's, I'm in the 2000s. Okay. There you go. Uh, I'm in the nineties. So like, I think that, um, they won't know it like that, but they'll be honored because it is such, we're so dang proud of them. And it is such a big deal and their families and their teachers, but, how, what tips do you have for those graduating seniors, for the students that, that didn't realize in March that was their last day of school, um, yeah. the, for the uncertainty of what the fall will look like? Um, yep. So uh, just, you know, if you want to w- talk a little bit about that, if you have any thoughts or suggestions. Absolutely. You know, I think there's, there's two kind of things here that we talk about with, with seniors and and people who are missing out on big milestones. You know, I'm, I'm crying every once in a while when I think about my little guy, my youngest is in kindergarten and they do this little play at Cottage Grove Elementary. Oh, yes. The little little red hen. Oh. And it's the cutest thing and he's not going to be able to do that. Right. And, and the reason we get tears is because we're grieving. Right. And, and these seniors, you know, they're grieving a loss and a loss that they might not even know really exists. They've just wanted it for so long or, or, or worked really hard for it. And so the first thing I would tell them is let yourself grieve, let yourself realize that this is a big deal and that, and that it is sad and it is hard. Absolutely. Right. I think a lot of people, like I said, I go back to that toxic positivity thing. I think a lot of people are just told to buck up and cope with it and deal with it. And I think people, you know, with feelings, it's kind of, you know, without getting too mushy gushy, it really is one of those things that the fastest way out is through. Um, I mean, you got to sit with it a little bit and talk about it. And we're seeing tons of seniors, um, reach out for therapy, reach out to each other and really taking dedicated time, like to support each other through, you know, these, these big losses and to Mm -hmm. just kind of sit with that. Once you sit with it, you know, the outcome is acceptance. And once people can get to that like place of, okay, this is real, this is happening. I'm grieving and I'm going to continue to grieve, but I've, I've gotten through it without crying, you know, for a couple of days kind of thing. Then we start looking at acceptance to me is the same as embracing. And that's where we can really start to get really creative, right? You know, the the seniors of the class of 2020 are also going to go down in history, right? Right, right. And so there's this, there's this thing here, you know, I see all of these, I'll see all these parades of teenagers coming through my neighborhood for parades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people yeah, who are turning 18 and turning 16 and and so there's also different memories that can be made and I think just being creative and letting them have their feelings while also supporting them through that and then being as creative as possible um, and then like you said a sense of community right like just honoring whatever we can and just really making sure these kids are recognized and loved I've been seeing you know the news every day highlight seniors from around Minnesota I've seen people put yard signs out I've absolutely I've seen stuff on Facebook, you know, one of my Facebook friends has a senior and had a sign in their front yard and one of their neighbors who doesn't even know them came by with a card and it just said to the grad at this address said, you know, I'm wishing you the best of luck, put some money in the card. And it was just like this heartfelt moment. So our community is strong. And, and I, I, like you, Carla, have no doubt that we are going to take care of our yeah. take care of our seniors and our kids who are missing out on big, big milestones. Well, and it's important that, you know, we talk about this in a way that um, lets them know that they're part of the future. And as I've said before, it's, you may not get to see the the closing of a chapter or the, the sun setting 
on one part of your life in the way that everybody else has gotten to. But make yeah. no no mistake that that horizon is bright and you're going to see it and you're going to be part of it and you're going to you're going to leave your mark on it in in making this place better. So um I I think that that is um a big big you know, kind of factor of also kind of coping and, and going through this. What do you, what um, suggestions do you have for um, distance learning type um, struggles that parents may be happen, ha- having, uh, having to step into the role as now teacher uh, yeah. that they've never had before? Do you have any thoughts or suggestions on that? Absolutely. And I think our teachers, uh, you know, shout out to especially to the ones that I've been able to interact with friends, family in the area, but shout out to, to our teachers at Cottage Grove Elementary. They've been doing a great job of expectation setting. Sure. Um, you know, they'll come out with all these assignments because they want kids to learn and they also want to make sure that the kids who are thriving with distance learning are having enough material, you know, but when my kindergartner started struggling, we told the teacher and she said, take it slow and and, and try and do what you can. And if you can't do it, don't push them. You know, we can't be pushing our kids beyond their capacity. Sure. So that they, we don't want them to hate learning. We don't want them to, to be more stressed than they already are. You know, they're missing that social connection. Um, so, so listening to what the teachers have to say and using them as a resource is huge. But some of the other things that I kind of include is one of the big things is yelling, like, like, Science and research shows yelling at our kids does not help. All it does is make them scared of you, which means they're less likely to reach out to you for when they need help, sure. which will in turn make you more frustrated and yell more. So, sure. so really doing your best, like take that deep breath when you're frustrated, walk away, do what you can to try not to yell at your kids. It, it literally does nothing for them or you other than create more yelling. It's like that self-fulfilling prophecy. Sure. So, so really, really, really doing that, that self-care stuff, checking yourself. Like for me, it's like that deep, like huge deep breath. And my kids, you know, my eight-year-old is kind of a smart aleck and he'll be like, are you taking deep breaths so you don't get mad? And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, good, yeah. Good paying attention. Yep. Um, another one that I think is a little bit taboo, but I talk about with my parents all the time. Uh, not my parents, my parent clients. Yes. <laughs> my parents too. I'm sure they probably know, but it's the, it's kind of a skill that I call love always like sometimes. I think parents feel like they have to always be into what their kids are into and always have to tolerate that stuff and always have to be engaging and pretending. And, and I, I don't think that's true. I think you should always like make your kids know you love them, but you don't always have to like them. And that can look like, you know, like, I don't like your behavior. I don't like playing that game. I don't like X, Y, Z, you know, um, and, but I still love you. Right. And, and that can be really helpful for some distance. Like for me, my kids like to play these, you know, on their iPads, these Roblox Minecraft games. And they want to be like, mom, look at this, mom, look at that. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't look at that anymore. I'm going, I'm going crazy. Yeah. And so I, I, I've really leaned into this skill on my own and just kind of said, you know, I, I love you. And I love that you love that game. I don't like it. I don't want to do it with you. Yeah. Right. If you want to play a different game or you want to do something else that maybe we have in common, you know, and then it gives them the opportunity to say yes or no and really understand that just because I'm your mom or your dad, it doesn't mean I have to be overly engaged in the things that, that you love. Um, and it's a real it's a real sanity, sanity skill for parents, because, um, 
you know, when kids, I, I would say that's something that even when your kids are in school and you get proper distance from them, that's something that drives parents crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, definitely, uh, helpful tips because it is, a unprecedented time. And, and again, you know, we just got to keep watch out to see if they're going to be doing distance learning uh, next fall. But um, I think those are extremely helpful tips. So um, Aaron, how about we do this? How about we take a break? And then I'd like to come back and talk about um, some legislation that you and I have collaborated on and also specifically um, a service uh, for something that's near and dear to my heart, which is PTSD for first responders. I'm the uh, daughter yeah. and sister of firefighters. So um, I'd like to do that. So if you don't mind, let's take a quick break and then uh, we'll come back and talk about those items. Perfect. Sounds great. All right. And we're back. Aaron, thank you again for being here today. I wanted to um, talk a little bit about how our paths crossed and that was yeah. about legislation, legislation for mental health. Cause we struggle with parity in health, you know, that it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult alone to navigate, you know, your physical health and well-being. But when it comes to mental health, there was no parity in how you could assign those services. Right. And, right. and that's a struggle. And so over the last couple of years, we've, we've done some legislation that puts some teeth in the commerce department that allows to enforce parity between, you know, the, the insurance companies and, and just kind of navigating those services. But one that we still kind of struggle with and it needs to be addressed and, and we continue to chip away at it, but it, it does need to be addressed in a more aggressive manner is mental health and how the preventative care assigned to insurance would be covered. And, and let's talk a little bit about what uh, we don't have to get, into the specifics of the bill, but let's talk about why preventative care and why that should be covered by insurance is important. Yeah, I think, um, so one of the things comes down to the parity issue is that health insurance are required to cover mental health, um, in the same ways that they would cover medical health. Yes. We know medical health is preventative care. And the reason medical health provides preventative care is because, Preventative care helps it from, you know, mitigates an issue early on or identifies it so that it can be fixed before it becomes a big problem. Kind of like we talked about, you know, preventative is better than inter interventative. Is that a word? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, we're going to say so. We're going to say um, so. <laughs> so and, and mental health is no different. I mean, almost everything in our society follows that same path, right? Yes. It's easier to prevent um, alcoholism than it is to intervene when somebody is an, already an alcoholic, right? Right. Um, it's easier to make sure that babies are healthy when they're little than when than intervening and starting to tackle their health when they're fifteen. Right. Right. And so and so mental health is the same. And the interesting thing with mental health is that we could you know be doing preventative mental health um, from when kids are really really little, and that might look like teaching parents. Um, how to give parents more access to skills and how to be better parents. Like, for example, teaching them how to navigate not yelling with their kids um, so that they can make sure their kids will, will, will talk to them as a first-line resource. But when it comes to preventative mental health and insurance companies, they insurance companies currently will not cover anything for a preventative reason. You have to go in, diagnose somebody with a, with a real problem, right, with a real issue. Right. You have to create the plan of treatment. 
and then you and then you do right and usually for outpatient mental health it's one you know that most insurance companies give you like 52 sessions a year so one a week right, right but you're paying your copay it's going towards your um insurance, yeah all of exactly yep. yep 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 and and that's still great right like it's nice yep. that mental health benefits are covered for most plans there are some that are still carved out which sucks yes they, they still do. Um, and so what we would like to see is we would like to see that first appointment where somebody gets diagnosed, that second appointment where you start talking about their treatment, and the next couple of appointments, we'd like to see that covered at no cost. Right. Because really, it's a preliminary assessment of preventative health. Those people could come in. They could say, hey, I'm really struggling because, you know, my pet family pet died or my kids really have a hard time with adjusting to school. And it's possible that in four sessions, we could give them the skills that they need to um, to be okay. It's possible that in those four sessions, we could address what's going on with them and really create a more detailed treatment plan of what we think it's going to take to really help this person right. through this issue. Um, and we can better we can better predict and work within a real therapeutic model of what we think you know we as the therapist need to be able to work with this client on um, over time. Additionally, what we've learned is that, like, for example, teenagers is a really good demographic to talk about this with, mm -hmm. is when teenagers can touch base with a mental health professional when they're going through something that, you know, maybe they would consider to be small, like a, a relationship issue, a school issue, something they might not reach out to a parent or other adult about. Right. If they, if they can just have access or a touch point with a therapist, the likelihood of that small problem staying small is really high. Yeah. And right. I, yeah. And I like to, and, and we've had numerous conversations about this uh, and I just get enlightened with every time I talk to you about this legislation and it's, it is bipartisan and, and people understand it. We just got to get it across the finish line. But yeah. what, what I equate it to is if you're going through a, a, a sudden change. So normally you would be able to navigate some some change because that's that's mm -hmm. what we deal with in life but yeah. either you know you get a new job you lose your job um a, a a sibling uh gets diagnosed with something or moves away that you're close to i mean anything yeah. that could be a starter of a, a mental health issue a mental health episode if you are allowed some of these appointments you know up to four or whatever that you could learn how to deal with that, get some tools to deal with that, those little ripples in the water before they become tsunamis and, and are ending up in an emergency room or in, um, you know, some other more intensive care that would be helpful. That would save cost. That would save lives. Lives. Right. So, that so that's, that's where, um, you know, for the listeners, you may be asking, well, why is, is Bigham talking to her about this? Because this is where politics and community intersect like a Venn diagram. And this yep. is where we have professionals coming to policymakers uh, saying, hey, this would be a lot easier. This would be a lot better for Minnesota. And and that is what I want people to know, that not only is Erin a constituent of mine, but she is a business professional with a specific background in family therapy who said we can do better. We should do better. This is a prime example of how somebody in the community can approach 
uh, leaders in the community and say, hey, we need to do better. And so um, I just wanted to use that as an example. And we're going to continue with Aaron's help uh, and my colleagues up at the Capitol's help to push this issue because it is important. Now, um, there is another service that you provide that you took the initiative with your partner and team about PTSD and first responders. Can you talk a little bit about that initiative? Yeah. So we, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny, like kind of, you know, funny story. It started seven or eight years ago when I was just doing outpatient therapy out in Woodbury. And I, I, I got my first police officer client. And what I found were some, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed doing therapy with him. And then all of a sudden I got another referral for a state trooper. And then I had another referral for another police officer. And then I had another referral for a deputy. And before I knew it, you know, half of my, half of my 15 person caseload were first responders, first, first responders and law enforcement. Wow. And, and over time I learned, you know, these are some of the traits that feel similar. Sure. Here's some of the things that feel really different. And here's some of the things that are the same as every other client that comes to our door. And, and the biggest piece I noticed was there's a couple of things we could do as mental health professionals to better reach people who might not access mental health. Um, and so my, with, with my partner and team, we came up with this wellness initiative for people who are first responders. Uh, currently we work mostly with, uh, law enforcement, but we do also work with a couple of the, um, uh, EMTs and stuff throughout the twin cities as well. And actually fire departments too. Um, and we came up with a program for them to kind of be able to come in, resource with a therapist. It's not a therapy session. It's kind of a wellness consultation is what we call it. Sure. Where, where they get to come in, talk to us. It's paid for by their department, right, as a part of their wellness initiatives. And they get to come in and talk to us about kind of everything under the sun in a very non-threatening, non-diagnosing um non-formal way to kind right. of just give them a taste of what this could look like. And the therapist will usually give them suggestions. You know, I've seen people come in and say, you know, I'm having this problem with this, or, you know, I feel like my wife is really having a hard time with that. And, and sometimes it's, here's a couple of, we go through some skills, try that, see if it works. If not, here's the name and number of somebody who I think might be per- a perfect fit if you wanted to do therapy. And it's, it's really just, low-key resourcing to allow our first responders access to mental health. In the past, um, for for really, really, really good reasons, uh, first responders don't seek mental health services. Right. And, and one of the biggest reasons why is because of the, the perceived risk, right? Oh, right. You know, back back in the day, it was if I get, you know, if I get a civil lawsuit brought against me, if they'll pull my mental health records and they're going to, they're going to use that against me. Correct. Right. And, and nowadays that's not really a thing, right? Like I work with a lot of divorcing families and judges, you know, it, back in the day it used to be, oh, mom's in therapy. She's a nut. Right. And now judges are saying you should be in therapy if you're getting divorced. Right. Right. And kind of looking at the person who's not seeking help as the person like who's got something going on. So so times are changed and, and it, we're just trying to catch catch up with it. But it's a really, really cool program. Um, it started with actually the folks over in West St. Paul and one of their sergeants and lieutenants, you know, reached out and, and we create we co-created this program. And it's been amazing. We did one wellness consult for them in their budget last year. Now we're doing two. 
um, this year. And the goal is to continue to add more wellness initiatives in the form of mental health um, to try and to try and help bring awareness to issues, whether it's anxiety or PTSD. It's across the board. Yeah. And this is just uh, a tremendous service because it is so important. We have seen an increase in suicide uh, among first responders uh, and it's tragic and they, you know, see things they can't unsee and they run towards things that none of us would, we're doing the, the fastest way to get away from some of this stuff and they're running towards it. Uh, and you know, it's, it is important. And, you know, you brought up about how sometimes it's a stigma or it's the, um, the fear of retaliation, um, from criminal or civil uh, issues if they talk or report. And there is uh, another piece of legislation that I'm sponsoring that will that addresses that. But I think, uh, and hope we got to get that across the finish line too, but I think um, it, is, it is so vitally important that we talk about these issues and provide these services for our first responders. Um, again, they see things they can't unsee and they, you know, are going to, uh, tragic events. And then especially for our paid on call folks, uh, they go to a tragic incident in the middle of the night, uh, don't have a lot of sleep, turn around and have to go do their full-time day job uh, and act like nothing's wrong. Right. And, and try and process that when you're going from call to call to call. I, my father was captain for years and of the cottage girl fire department. I knew it was a bad call when he would come in and check in on us after, you know, a, an evening call uh, when we were in bed because some 10 year old girl um, died in a car accident and he had to go talk to, to the, you know, to the, the parent, parent um, yeah. that that had happened, but he got to go home to his 10 year old daughter and you don't, you don't get to unsee that. And there's, no. you know, like, you just don't. And it's, it is weighing on our first responders. So we got to protect them. And I applaud you and, and Ellie family services for providing that. Um, Absolutely. Well, Aaron, I have so enjoyed having you here today. I have two final non uh, mental (laughs) health or family service requirements or questions. So I'm going to be asking my guest. uh, this is an evolving podcast here. And so I'm going to change it up every once in a while, but um, first question for you. Are you binge watching anything right now? Oh gosh. Well, of course I am American after all. (laughs) And so we, I, I actually usually don't watch TV. I don't usually have time. Sure. And so we have been watching it. So of course we watched Tiger King, but that was already (laughs) a few weeks ago. We binge watched Schitt's Creek, which was fabulous. Yes. And then the the one we're currently watching is called The Good Place oh. with Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. It's it's bizarrely funny. It's it's made by the same guy who wrote Parks and Recreation. Oh, sure, sure. So I, I highly recommend. We're only on season. There's like three or four seasons. I think we're like in the beginning of season three. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a whole different kind of comedy, and it's great. Yeah. Yeah, Ted Danson's amazing. Um, so other question. Are you reading a book right now that you want to mention? Um, is it embarrassing if I say no? No. Okay. It is not. <laughs> I've binge watching Carla. I just told you I've binge watching all those shows. It's time to read when you're binge watching Joe Exotic. Right? So I think I'm doing this to hold myself accountable about books because I have this horrible habit of starting a book even if it's really good, and then it it sits, and then I pick it up, and I've just started. I've I have uh, 
uh, Dr. Osterholm's book, The Deadliest Enemy on my desk. I have Master of the Senate, which is a, a, a book about uh, Lyndon Johnson. And so I just, I, I think it's more me uh, trying to hold myself accountable about finishing books. So uh, I love that. Well, <laughs> and to really nerd out here, I do read about 10 or so like um articles from yeah medical journals journals. yeah absolutely and those those are like 17 or 20 pages sometimes so that's like a book a week it it, it definitely is my husband says that too like i have to read so many briefs carla and court um findings like that is my reading i'm like oh yeah that's a fair point so okay and one more quick little shameless plug Every day I read the book that me and my partner wrote, which is How to Stop Freaking the Bleep Out. Okay. <laughs> and I got to tell you, this book for people who need quick skills to knock themselves off their anxiety during a pandemic is excellent. I even, I even have my kids reading it and they could care less about this book. So we've got them all over and it's, it's been fabulous. Nice. Anxiety. Nice. And again, I just want uh, people to know that uh, you can check out Erin and her whole team at elliefamilyservices.com. That's E-L-L-I-E, familyservices.com. Erin, thank you so much uh, for being here today. I so appreciate it. And I hope that uh, you and your family are uh, staying safe and, you know, enjoying each other and and having a, a, a good time learning these skills that you have so generously shared with us. I so appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Carla. I love, I love getting our, our talks in. I hope you guys stay safe as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron Pass, for joining us and giving us some tips and suggestions on how to handle stress, anxiety, every day, but also mainly during these unprecedented times when we are trying to balance and find some sort of normalcy in our lives. Say, I wanted to give folks some information. If you or someone you know is having a mental health crisis and needs some assistance, please reach out. You are not alone. They are not alone please, please, please reach out. We have the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which the number is 1-800-273-8255. One more time, 1-800-273-8255. The Minnesota Department of Health has a lot of information on their website. Please check it out. And know that you are not alone. But of course, if you or somebody you love is in immediate danger, um, call 911. But know that there is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Again, 1-800-273-8255. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Facebook, Insta, Twitter. If you have any suggestions for topics, please email Carla at carlatalks.com. Stay tuned. We're going to be dropping new episodes every week. Please subscribe to the podcast and stay safe.